Section 19 of Tom Petrie's Reminiscences of Early Queensland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. Tom Petrie's Reminiscences of Early Queensland. Part 1, Chapter 19. Because my father knew the blacks so well, he was often asked to accompany people on different expeditions into the bush. On his return from the Turon diggings in 1851, a merchant of Brisbane came to him and said that gold had been found at Delaney's Creek, or, as the blacks called it, Nuram Nuram, what, spelt Nuram Nurem, on the map. And would he go with them and have a look at the place, for though it had been left, it might be some good. The boy agreed, so the merchant procured a pair of horses, a mule to carry the rations and blankets, and a gun and ammunition. When all was ready, they started from the town, leading the pack mule, and the first night got as far as the upper Caboolture, to the old deserted station where Mr. Gregor and Mrs. Shannon had been murdered, and camped in an old hut there. This hut was not far from the graves of the murdered, Next morning the merchant did not feel well, so they rested where they were for the day, father strolling round and examining the graves. The evening of the day following, Durandur was reached, and after hobbling the horses, father went to a black's camp nearby in order to get a couple of natives to show them a shortcut across the ranges to Nurum Nurum Creek. He succeeded in persuading two to accompany them, one an old fellow called Guy Allen, and the other a young man, and they were to meet next morning. Guy Allen was somewhat lame, had one leg shorter than the other. When morning came, they started off, with the natives leading, and travelled several miles without interruption. Then, climbing up the spur of a mountain, and going down the other side, they came into a very thick scrub, where about one hundred blacks were hunting for paddy melons, making a great row. The two blacks who were with the white men sang out to the others, who immediately clustered round and asked questions. Some of the young fellows grew very bold, and the merchant suggested to father to get the gun ready, for by this time he was very much afraid. But the boy said to leave it to him, it would be all right, and he commenced to talk to and chafe them in their own tongue. Soon they were all laughing, and made no objection when the party started to push on, which they did with a will, reaching their destination that night and camping there on the bank of a creek. Next morning after breakfast, father started to prospect for gold. There was an old cradle or two there on the bank, and a couple of crowbars, which had been left by those working some time before, and the holes that had been sunk were all filled in by a flood. He tried several places in the creek and got the colour, but no more. So, as it was getting late in the afternoon, decided to wait till next day. Hanging about over this sort of thing evidently did not suit the black's taste, for next morning the young fellow bolted, and the old man wished to go too and take the rations with him. The merchant at this, thinking there was mischief brewing, said, We must get out of this and their horses being handy, 
they accordingly packed the mule, Father meanwhile making old Di Alin hold the creature, telling him that if he offered to run away, he would shoot him. But, on the other hand, if he piloted them safely over the mountain to Mount Brisbane Station, he would give him flour, tea, sugar, and other good things. So off they went again, but hadn't gone far when natives appeared on every side, and as they didn't look at all friendly, father called to them in their own tongue that he would fire if they came any nearer. There were a lot of wild young fellows in the mob, and these set fire to the grass all round about, but did nothing else, so the party got through all right, losing sight of their black friends eventually, to the merchant's great relief. Keeping on, till they got over the mountain, with Dyer Alin still in front, they at length came in sight of Mount Brisbane Station. Here father told the black man he could go, and on receiving the tobacco and other promised things, the darkie did so, quite pleased with his possessions. His white companions went on to the station, where they stayed the night, and next day made through the bush in a direct line for Brisbane, where they arrived quite safe and sound, none the worse for their little adventure. In those days, my father could find his way anywhere through the bush to where he wished to go, so long as the sun was shining, and he knew in what direction the place lay, or if he had been once before. One could never lose him in the bush, but of course, over the mountains, the blacks had tracks cut, and it saved time to be shown these. Years before this, in fact, during the time of the convicts, there was a poor, harmless, half-cripple Aboriginal called Bumble Dick, who belonged to the Brisbane tribe and who hung about the settlement. He'd had half his foot burnt off when a child. This Bumble Dick went once to some sawyers working at Petrie's Bite and told them that if they would lend him a gun, he would get them plenty ducks. So they lent an old musket and powder and shot, and off Dick started, quite pleased with himself, taking his wife with him. He went to the Serpentine Swamp near Nudgee, for in those days there were lots of ducks there, and was delighted when he saw some swimming out from among the reeds. He started to load his gun, putting in plenty of powder and shot. Then, catching sight of more ducks, and thinking that the more he put in his gun, the more ducks he would shoot, he used up nearly all the powder and shot. Then he put the gun up to his shoulder and pulled the trigger. The gun went off, yes, but instead of killing a single bird, it burst and knocked poor Dick down with a cut to his forehead, also smashed up his left hand. The thumb and the last two fingers were blown right off, and the remaining ones came off at the second joint. It was lucky for Bumble Dick that his wife was with him, for he was stunned for some time. When he came to, his wife was crying over him, and she put dirt on his hand and tied it up. Then they started back to the camp at Brisbane, taking with them the broken gun. Next day, Dick's wife returned the gun to the owners and told them of what had happened to poor Dick, saying, Bail, get em duck. Two days after that again, father went out to see Bumble Dick. I found poor Dick sitting in his hut in a fearful state, the cut in his forehead full of wood ashes and ashes on his smashed-up hand, which smelt unpleasantly. The poor fellow was in pain. I said to him, 
what for you put so much powder and shot in gun he replied that the more he put in the more ducks he expected to kill and he did not think the gun would break how many ducks did you shoot bail me no me shot self no go see how many ducks bail more me take em gun that fellow very saucy dick was a long time recovering but eventually he got all right again if you said to him dick you take em gun and shoot me some ducks he would reply bail that fellow too much saucy you could not get poor dick to take hold of a gun ever again indeed he would hardly look at one and no wonder even now i can see the terrible state his hand was in and just how his fingers were torn off this misadventure of bumble dick's reminds my father of one of his own when he was a very small boy when the petries first came to brisbane they lived as i have said in a building on the site of the present post and telegraph office until their own house on petries bight should be built this building had formerly been used as a factory for the women prisoners until they were moved to eagle farm it was a large building and was surrounded by a wall about sixteen or eighteen feet high and some couple of feet thick one large gate in this wall faced what is now queen street along the river bank from creek street to past where messrs thomas brown and sons warehouse is now stretched the petrie's garden and here they had growing peach trees figs mulberries and lots of different fruits and vegetables the blacks used to come and steal the sweet potatoes so my grandfather petrie had a hole cut in this side of the wall so that a watch could be kept the blacks used to swim from kangaroo point over to the gardens in swimming as before stated a native used a small log as a help and carried his dilly on his head it was generally on a sunday when no one was working in the garden that the blacks came across for the potatoes one sunday six of them were busy at their little game when they were seen through the hole in the wall and grandfather and two of his sons john and walter went quietly down to try and catch them red-handed however the blacks seeing them approach made off and taking to the water started to swim to kangaroo point in the meantime the pilot boat hove into sight coming round kangaroo point on its way from amity point station and she gave chase sticking all the time to one black fellow the man in the bow of the boat stood up with the boat hook in his hand ready to hook the darky whenever they got near him the black fellow dived down under the water like a duck and then came up again in quite a different place to what was expected the boat would have to be turned then and a fresh start made and so this went on till the swimmer was almost across the river and fairly beaten when the man with the boat hook succeeded in hooking him and then dragging the unfortunate wretch into the boat he was tied with a rope and taken to the lock-up next day he was tried and sentenced to a flogging my father used to get into scrapes in this garden as well as the blacks his father's gardener old ned a one-time prisoner the natives called him dickalabin was an awful man to swear and a cross old man many a time he used to hunt me said father and swear at me when he would catch me taking fruit or watermelons he always kept a horse pistol loaded with slugs 
with which to shoot the blacks when he caught them stealing. One day, Father watched Ned going to the far end of the garden and then stole into his hut and, taking his pistol, went to have a shot at some birds on a peach tree. There were a great number of birds, and so the boy made sure of getting some. He held the pistol close to his face in order to look along the barrel and then pulled the trigger. The pistol did not burst, like Bumble Dick's gun, but it kicked frightfully, and the result was a cut lip, a bruised forehead, and a blackened eye for the boy. He was also knocked down, and when he saw the blood, thought he was going to die, so started crying. Old Ned, hearing the report and the crying, ran up to the lad, cursing and swearing and saying, You will die now. Then he took the boy to his mother, who washed the wounds, and put raw beef to the black eye, then put her son up in the kitchen loft. If his father had seen him in that state, the boy would have been severely punished, for my grandfather was a strict old gentleman. Many a hammering father got for smoking as a boy, which however failed to cure the habit. In this case, the youngster was kept out of the way for several days until his wounds were better. When his father did at length come across his small son, he gave him a good talking to, saying he had a great mind to thrash him for using the pistol, and Tom promised he would not do it again. In these days, fierce fights often took place among the aboriginals in the vicinity of Brisbane, and the white boy, who was here and there and everywhere among the blacks, of course witnessed them. Once there was a great gathering from all parts of the country, the different tribes rolling up to witness a grand new corroboree that the Ipswich tribe had brought. After the corroboree, a fearful fight came off. Some northern tribes, the Bribe, Mulala, Maruchi, Noosa, Durandur, Kilcoy, and Baramba Blacks, ranging themselves against the Brisbane, Ipswich, Rosewood, Wivenhoe, Logan, and Stradbrook Island tribes. Altogether, there were some 700 blacks, and they were camped in this wise. The Brisbane, Stradbrook Island, and all from the Logan up to Brisbane, had their camp at Green Hills, overlooking Roma Street Station, where the reception house is now. The Ipswich, Rosewood, and Wivenhoe tribes were on Petrie Terrace, where the barracks are, and the northern tribes camped on the site of the present Normanby Hotel. Previous to the corroboree, kippers had gone through their ceremony out at the Samford Ring, and these young men were now taken to where the women were all dancing and singing, on the flat in front of the present Roma Street station. They were made to walk in pairs, six men, all decorated and painted up for the occasion, preceding them, and six more bringing up the rear. They started with a war whoop from the top of the hill, where the road turns to go up Red Hill, down to where the gins were dancing and singing, and waving about their yam sticks with bunches of bushes tied to the ends. These gins, seeing the boys approach, were delighted to know that they were safe after having been swallowed by the country men, and sticking their yam sticks in the ground, awaited their arrival. Always in these ceremonies, the same sort of thing was gone through and as they have been already described, we will leave them to come to where the old warriors were fighting. 
the brisbane side chased the others as far as red hill and then two of the northern blacks being wounded one with a spear through the calf of the leg and the other with a similar weapon through his thigh a halt was called this was done by the friends of the wounded yelling tor which meant hit or wounded a halt in the proceedings was always brought about so the brisbane tribe then retreated and were chased back as far as the road that now leads to milton on the river bank where three of their side got wounded one with a boomerang in the chest another with a waddy on the head and yet another man got a spear through his foot the man with the wound in the head was very bad the waddy cut the skin right through to the skull and yet next day he was walking about again after these happenings both sides decided on a rest for a while and so they squatted down about one hundred yards apart an interval passed and then two men from one side got up and rushed in a threatening manner across to the others who retaliated and so things went on in the usual way of a fight as the spears and waddies flew here and there the white boy was amazed to see how they were dodged looking on he felt it was impossible for a man to escape being hit and yet most of the weapons passed between legs or over heads or were turned aside on a shield when some time had been spent in a general sort of fight an ipswich blackfellow challenged a bribey island black to fight with knives and waddies accusing him of being the cause of the death of a friend and calling him all sorts of names also uttering dreadful threats the two met and started viciously hitting at one another till the ipswich black split the other's shield then weapons were thrown aside and a hand-to-hand -hand fight with stone knives ensued the cuts were frightful and father was relieved when at length the pair were separated by those looking on it was found that the ipswich black had less wounds than the other so the former had to stand and allow his enemy's friends to cut him to make things more equal this as i have already stated was always done it was the aboriginal's idea of justice a big fight always lasted several days and time was allowed in between for the search for food so in this case when things had gone thus far the different tribes separated hunting all round about some such as the ipswich mount brisbane and wivenhoe tribes hunted in the scrub which used to stand near where the tuong railway station is now the blacks called that part bunaraba tuong was their name for the bend or pocket of the river on the left-hand side travelling from brisbane just before crossing inderapilly bridge the logan stradbroke and some morton island blacks went over to what we call west end there used to be a large scrub there on the bend of the river in the early days and the blacks called the place kurilpa which meant a place for rats some crossed the river in canoes and others swam across then some northern tribes hunted at bayuba inaugura crossing and others at the hamilton scrub the brisbane tribe themselves kept to bowen hills spring hill new farm etc when father went out to the blacks next day to see how the fight was progressing he found every one in the midst of a great feast of all sorts of animals after they were satisfied however 
they painted and decorated themselves again and then much the same sort of thing went on women fought as well as men and on this second day father noticed two gins of the same tribe one a young girl of eighteen years and the other over thirty who seemed to have a quarrel to settle they fought about a young man one said he belonged to her and the other said no he belonged to her and the jealous pair fought and squabbled very savagely using not only their tongues but also their hands and weapons the younger one seemed to be getting the better of it when the other suddenly made a prod with her yam stick and sticking the sharp point into her enemy's body killed her immediately the dead girl's brother at this ran and fell the conqueror to the ground by a blow on the head with a waddy the blow was so severe that the skull bone showed out and the woman lay as one dead her body was carried to her hut then as was also that of the other gin and a great wailing and crying and hacking of flesh began amidst all this noise of the morning it was hardly possible to hear oneself speak and the white boy growing a little frightened went home next day when father again went to see how things were he found to his astonishment the wounded gin sitting up he had expected to find her dead the wound on her forehead was filled in with fine charcoal the body of the dead gin had been skinned and eaten a good many were wounded before this fight ended the brisbane side getting the better of it eventually afterwards when all the tribes journeyed homewards in different directions they took with them their wounded carrying them on their shoulders a leg on each side of the neck my father has been present at numbers of aboriginal fights and he says it takes a lot to kill a black fellow one thing surprised him greatly during a big fight at dumban now called pinkenbar a black fellow in stooping down to pick up a weapon got struck with a spear which went in just above the collarbone and after going right down through the body came to light again it seemed impossible that the man should live and yet he did recover though he fell away to a mere skeleton first another big tulan or fight father remembers at york's hollow the exhibition he and his brother walter were standing looking on when a fighting boomerang thrown from the crowd circled round and travelling in the direction of the brothers struck walter petrie on the cheek causing a deep flesh wound the gins and blacks of the brisbane tribe commenced to cry about this and said that the weapon had come from the bribey black side and that they were no good but wild fellows the brothers went home and the cut was sewn up it did not take long to heal afterwards at that fight there must have been about eight hundred blacks gathered from all parts and there were about twenty wounded one very fine black fellow lost his life his name was tunbur maggot in the fight he got hit on the ankle with a waddy and next day died from lockjaw they carried the remains and crossed the creek where the inaugura railway bridge is now and further on made a fire and skinned the body and ate it my father knew tunbur well he was one of the blacks who accompanied grandfather petrie on his trip in search of a sample of bonny wood tunbur was a splendidly made black fellow he stood over six feet in height and was very strong 
When father heard he had been killed, he rode out to the camp at Bowen Hills to see him, but found only a few old gins and men, who said the others had gone across the creek to eat tambour. So, as Tom was curious to see this performance, he rode on to the Inogara crossing, but was again disappointed as it was all over, and only a couple of old women left to clean the bones and put them safely in a dilly. The remains of the fire were still to be seen, and some little distance further, a small mound of newly dug earth with three sticks placed round, nicely tied with grass. This, the gin said, was where the waste parts were buried. Another stick about a yard away was stuck in the ground and also tied with grass rope, and a bunch of grass surmounted the top, which pointed south. The ground was nicely cleared round this stick, and a footmark printed there, also pointing south. This told any strange blacks who should chance to come along in which direction the friends of the dead had gone, and a dozen trees notched all round about with little notches marked the place where a body had been eaten. End of Part 1, Chapter 19